0: If you or someone you love is in active addiction and would like to get help, please call our friends at Humans of Addiction, 888-225-6553. Hi, welcome to Soberish. I'm here with my uh, favorite comedian and friend, Tim Dillon. Thanks for having me. That, that song,
1: for the beginning of an addiction podcast, right? that song is so fucking just, you want to start rolling immediately <laughs> when you hear that. That is great. That is like doing a podcast about domestic violence and opening up with just slaps, just fucking hits, and boom, you're in. I'm in. I'm in a warehouse. I just dropped some 2004 ecstasy with the Mitsubishi symbol on it. Yeah. That's good. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Did you rave? No. (laughs) <laughs> no. I would I would do drugs never in the setting that was appropriate. So I would do LSD and go to like a high-end steakhouse and talk about how people hadn't really made people didn't know what money was. People were like, you're not at all having the experience you should be having. I'd be like, you know, I would take ecstasy and just hang out with a couple of people and drive around. Like people were like, you should, you know, they're like, can we put the music on? I'm like, I'd rather talk. They're like, let's just vibe. I was always in a weird, I don't know. I'm the the drug. You know, Jared Logan is a really funny comedian, had a great joke about another comedian named Dan St. Germain, and he said, he goes, you know, he's like, I've never seen Dan really relapse, but I've seen Dan get drunk on power running an open mic, so (laughs) maybe Dan is addicted to himself. And I think maybe that's a part of it. Like maybe maybe I'm addicted to me. Yeah. I don't know. A
0: steakhouse seems like an MDMA nightmare. Well,
1: I used to go. I used to go there was a bar uh in in the Garden City Hotel, which is a really it's a rich town in Long Island. And we the the when I was a when I was in 11th grade, we went to this bar called the Baby Grand. It was a martini lounge. They wouldn't card you as long as you had a jacket on, even if you had your clearly Obviously, a high school Catholic school blazer on. It was good enough for these fucks. So we would go and drink martinis with guys who were cheating on their wives. That was the whole. That was the whole crew over there, and we. And then the bartender Stacy got another job at this place. This hotel in Garden City, the Garden City Hotel. So we loved Stacy. We followed her there, and uh, you know. So whatever we were doing, we'd pop in. So if right. we were tripping out, we'd pop in. If we were all stoned, we'd pop in just to see Stacy, to have a couple of pops. But yeah, I mean, it was like, could I have gotten less? Could I? Could I have gotten further away from the point of a psychedelic drug? Yeah. No, probably not. But then there were the times when I, you know, did shrooms and went on the beach. And like, I understood that, you know, everything we learned was taught, but I knew that anyway a little. I did,
0: uh, I did a lot of drugs as a teenager. I listened to your episode of of Honeydew. Yeah. And then read some comments that were just like, oh, come on, he didn't do this yeah, shit as a teenager. Thought, and I'm like, yeah. what kind of teenagers
1: were you? This was yeah. all... Sorry for knocking my mic. I get so <laughs> mad when I hear that. Because there's there are people out there who think I invented that whole entire backstory. You can talk to... People that I and, and now I'm getting ridiculous, but you know this is all verifiable. Like my yeah. friends did it with me; they're still alive, like they're around. None of us are proud of it. I've asked them to come on the show; they won't, because like my podcast is getting a little bigger. They won't come on, because they have like families and yeah. careers, and they don't want to talk about doing coke at 13. But that's what we're doing in my friend Tina's backyard. <laughs> we did two. We did lines. We did bumps of coke. At 13, and again, okay, you could say I made that up, but it's literally a fact. I'm not proud of it. If I could do it all over again, I would not. I would have done everything differently. Really? A I lot. would
0: do my whole life over again exactly how I did it.
1: Very interesting. I wouldn't because I've already done it this way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I would do it another oh, I true. would do
1: it another way. Yeah. I would do sit-ups. <laughs> I would go to a prep school. I'd, I'd make a lot of friends with money and connections instead of this fucking group of losers that I have. These zeros that I fucking have surrounded myself with. I have two successful friends, Joe Rogan and one other person. The only people I know that have done anything. Um, but it's, it's interesting to think about like, when you become an addict. Because then there are people that go, you're an addict before you know what drugs are. This is a huge yeah. premise of this podcast, is trying to
0: unpack this. I think we have one definition of addiction. And I do know, when I think of disease of addiction, I think of these people that you could look at them at six years old and be like, you are you got that. You got that switch. You can see it in every area of their lives. But I... Uh, Know a lot of people who aren't that, but they do atticist shit when they are addicted to a substance, but then you don't necessarily see it in every other area of their life. Do you think you were an addict from
1: birth? It's hard to say, but I think probably. I I'm not a doctor. I want to say that up front for a, you know, that we but but there's a lot of talk about genealogy. It's in the genes, right? Yeah. They say that because my family's an Irish Catholic family. A lot of booze. That's the addict A lot of issues. And a lot of people go, to the genes. It's in the genes. I don't know what that... I, I, I know that... I, I think in the genes is, is a great way to also excuse everyone's behavior. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's in the genes, but it's also... I fucking grew up watching you guys get drunk and throw each other in a pool. <laughs> so maybe it's not in the genes as much as it's... I fucking saw this shit when yes, I was seven. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is the only way to have fun. This is the only way to let loose... This is how you love each other. You get drunk enough to look at someone and say, I love you and I'm glad you're in my life. Well, we never, we never said, I'm glad you're in my life. But, but so part of it was, you know, like, like that, I think environment growing up in that environment but part of it is like when I was a little kid I would put on plays I always wanted attention I was a little bit of a narcissist like I was a little kid that would be like five like look at me like I watch home videos that were kind of embarrassing because I'm like just always wanted to be out in front of everything and like there's part of addiction that I think overlaps really well with narcissism yeah. and self-obsession but, so your parents were addicts or your parents just No, no. Hard? Well, see, my mom's a schizophrenic and I do think she had a lot of addictive tendencies. Like she had a really bad relationship with food and she took a lot of over-the-counter pills like Sudafed, you know, she was always, you know, slamming Sudafed, drinking tab, eating unhealthy, didn't drink, <laughs> didn't, but, you know, she would do some perka doodles every now and then. <laughs> it, it's... It's kind of like when you say addict, it's interesting because it's like I would look at her and I'd go, yeah, 100%. Some of it was addiction. Some of it's other types of mental illness that are in there that she's probably just self-medicating. She's probably self-medicating because that's where it gets complicated, too. It's like how many people that are addicts are You know, people that are just medicating untreated or undiagnosed illnesses. Absolutely. Illnesses. Yeah. Yeah. And that might have been her, but I know that she was really against me drinking. She was really against me using drugs because I think she knew that it was, you know, quote unquote in the genes or she, you know, your mothers know their kids. Yeah. And I think she knew that I would be a wreck if I went down that road. So I did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I
1: immediately. So did. you
0: waited though. You waited till sixth grade.
1: Yeah. I mean, I started, and I I remember the first time. This is a cool story. And I don't tell this a lot. I've probably only told it on thirty or forty other shows. <laughs> um, by the way, addiction. How many? How long are we going to talk into these mics? It's like, I mean, God. But <laughs> how many fucking? You want to talk about addiction? But the uh, <laughs> about unhealthy coping mechanisms. <laughs> The first thing I did was I I I the first time I got high smoking weed, I lied to my family and said I was staying after uh seventh grade, I was staying after for chef's club. And my family <laughs> is so stupid that they believe that not only was there a chef's club <laughs> at my fucking school, but it was on Mondays at fucking till 6. It was a two and a half hour intensive, rigorous study of cuisine. Like, at seventh grade, chef's club. Like, this is how dumb they were. I'm like, yeah, we make a meal and then eat a meal. And they were like, so my father, who's just like... There was nothing, like, even close to this. She fabricated it completely. There was a chef's club, I think, that was like, monthly, like, there was like a... That was like a half hour. And I think it was like during... It was like right after school. It was not two and a half hours. I know that it wasn't. I mean, it might have been weekly, but it was like... I don't think they had it every week. Whatever it was, it was not nearly two and a half hour. So I told them, and then I got on the back of my friend Deanna's bicycle. Deanna was a goth chick. (laughs) She was in ninth grade at the high school. My friend Tina introduced me to my friend Deanna and Tina was a badass. Tina had been suspended a bunch. I had been suspended a bunch too. Uh, I got suspended for and I quote treating the lunch aids like (laughs) subhumans. I have that on my Instagram. That was literally in quotes. Um, You know and and my whole thing about that is like I expect the best from people because I want them to be the best. Right. And that's that's the way I felt about the aids. But (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't remember what the problem was but so I'd been suspended Tina had been suspended so you know when you're in in school suspension you just meet other degenerates yeah. and derelicts yeah, this it's is like a... the prison system you're <laughs> just introducing me to other people just other cool people, like people me. that want to have fun <laughs> that's the way I thought they were and so Tina was like we're going to my friend LaFawn's house LaFawn was white so you know it's good <laughs> LaFawn was a fat white girl so when someone's named LaFawn and they're white, you know you're going to have a good time. She goes, her mom's not home. We just go there and smoke weed. And I'm like, well, I've never smoked weed, but this seems like a natural progression. So hold on. You were yeah. already lying about Chef's Club before smoking weed? No, this is the first time okay. I get high. So I, I meet no. Tina and I'm like, well, I don't, you know, this is in, I'm in seventh grade now. Okay. And I'm, now she's like, me and Deanna going to LaFawn's, can you come? I'm like, okay, I tell my parents I'm at Chef's Club. So we go, we go to LaFawn's house. LaFawn, fun woman, larger woman, white, great name. It's important. It's important because you don't think she's white. But a white chick named Laf- like a black girl named LaFawn could be a track star and major in economics and have a great life. But a white girl named LaFawn, I don't know. It's going to be fun. Whatever happens is going to be interesting. So she, we went to her house, and then we, and if she's listening, and some of them do listen, it's not. I think it's we. I don't regret any of this, which is crazy. But we, 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 we. They taught me how to smoke a gravity bong.
0: Gravity bong straight
1: out the gate. Well, that was the first thing because that's what they were all smoking, and like, I didn't really feel that high after I did it. I don't know what happened.
0: The first time people smoke is weird. You don't always get high. You don't always get
1: high. So then we rode back to the school and then my dad picked me up. I got in the car and he was like, how was Chef's Club? And I'm like, it was great. And then he he was like, cool. And then I actually something happened in my head because I actually got away. I wasn't high, but I was I had just gotten away with the lie. Right. And the lie and getting away with the lie, the power of that. Go, well, I could just take three hours a week
0: yeah. and get high
1: and just say I'm at Chef's Club. These people are fucked. They don't know anything. <laughs> I could say I'm at a different club every day. So the power of getting away with that, I kind of remember that feeling of like, okay, cool. And, and then the next time I did it, it was teen night which I had no interest, which was a real thing, which I, which we used to sneak out the back of and we got high again and I got away with it again. And then I was just like, okay, well, this is, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go out and I'm going to smoke pot because I didn't have an idea. I I think part of it was that I wasn't a jock. Yeah. And I was, I was a, from when I was six years old to when I was 12, I was a child actor. And I would leave the school I was going to go into the city to do auditions, right? For movies you and were on, TV shows. Uh, Sesame Street, Sesame right. Street twice. Um, what else? Not a lot of other shit. Not a lot of big deal shit. But I, you believed that that was going to happen, right? You thought you were going to be on Home Improvement, you know, a, a, a version of that. You thought you were going to go live in L.A. You didn't think you were going to have to be a regular teenager. You yeah. didn't think any of that was going to happen. So you're kind of like, I'm going to be a star. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, fuck everybody else. I don't... So I would... So then that when that didn't happen, I was 11. I remember kind of accepting what was going to happen. I, was, I, would, I would just been cast in Annie Get Your Gun as Little Jake. But it wasn't the one on Broadway. It was the one that toured around America. <laughs> and I was playing Little Jake. We were driving nine hours a day in a tour bus from town to town in the Florida panhandle. And we were performing... <laughs> And we were in the Bible Belt, and I was looking out the window, and I was like 11 years old, and I was starting to get fat. I was starting to get chubby. And because at seven, I was hot. And then by <laughs> 11, it was over. You know, your body was changing. And the, the, the woman, Rita McKenzie, who was an Ethel Merman person, who was a star of the show, used to get drunk and trash her hotel room because she also was not happy where things were. <laughs> So the bus, we'd all have to sit there every morning in the bus waiting for this woman to walk in with all the mascara cried off her face. (laughs) And she got into the bus one day and she literally looked at me and she goes, she looked at me, I was 11. And she goes, fuck all of these people. I like you. She goes, fuck all these people. She goes, this business is hell. She goes, I saw that you stole cereal from the hotel. Because I did. She goes, Never stop stealing. She looked right at me. She goes, "Never stop taking. Never stop taking from these people." She goes, "That's the only way you'll win in this business." Just t-. and I was like, "Crazy." But I th- at that point I was like, "This woman, this is what happens." Yeah. I like even at 11, I was like, "Oh, this lady thought she was going to be on home improvement too." <laughs> at one point, I'm like, "This is fun. This woman's nuts." She's watching me steal cereal and she thinks this is fucking, I'm really sticking it to the man. So, I, so so when I got back from that trip, I was in sixth grade. After I got back from that trip, the dream of being an actor had ended. Yeah. So now I was in school and I was kind of bullied for the acting thing. To an extent, like people would be like, "Oh, you gay? You're a fuck. You're a faggot. You're a sister. You this, that, the other." But then a lot of people also thought it was cool. Yeah. So it was like a weird half and half. Even some of the people who bullied me thought it was cool while they were bullying me. Right. It was like where they're like, "Yeah, you faggot. What are you on TV? When are you? When are you going to be on? Yeah. <laughs> are you on it?" Like my, my brother said, you were on it. It was this weird thing, and I'm like, "All right, I think Tuesday they're rerunning the episode of Sesame Street." Like, yeah, whatever, faggot. That's, that's whatever. That's pretty cool. So like this weird, it was this weird, like, I'm like, is this good or not? I don't know. So it it just, in keeping with like, I didn't have an identity. So when I met, uh, I met Tina and I met my other friend, Shay, who was a fun dude. I was just like, we, like, I had lived and, and already had dreams crushed.
0: Yeah. I yeah. had
1: dreams crushed. Yeah. So I was ready to be an addict. I was ready for <laughs> it. I had all the genes. I had the tragic backstory. Yeah. I was a narcissist. I, I believed that all, me and only me, like, I had to create a world that made sense to me and that gratified me. And I was going to lie and it didn't matter. I was going to steal money from people to get those drugs. And it, none of it mattered because I was like, I've, I should have been a fucking kid on TV and I wasn't. Fuck everybody. It's all about me. And I think that's, if somebody had to explain, if I do explain what addiction was, and I'm not, a, it's very hard because there's so many different kinds of, it, but every addict I know, including myself, it really is all about us. Yeah. It's all about us. And and what we justify in the pursuit of making ourselves feel good is wild. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I feel like... Because I was starting to make it in comedy. Same thing, though, I asked if your if your parents were addicts. Because I was neglected, I think, because my mom was an addict. So, like, she was just doing addict shit. And so I kind of retreated to a world of fantasy. Part of that, I think, was dissociation after uh, I started getting molested. But I same thing, I memorized Bill Cosby himself. I memorized... Um, uh, Eddie Murphy Raw, and I would just, like, perform... I didn't want to be a stand-up, but I would just, like, perform them. I would give people my autograph. and it was just, like, I will be a star. I just had this, like, knowing that that's what I would be that definitely came from a, a burning need for attention. That now when I look back, I'm like, oh, I had that burning need for attention because I was trying to get someone to pay attention to the fact that I was getting molested. But um, when I finally started to actually make something happen, kind of on accident at 21 and was on the road doing stand up at a time where if I would have just followed through there weren't a lot of women doing stand up. I had a a strange marketability because I was 21 and a, a train wreck so like college kids loved me but like also I had been married and had a kid for 5 years and been a housewife and so I was like weirdly marketable and cute and whatever. And I would sit in my hotel room and watch behind the music and just all that, you know, just people throwing their lives away on drugs. And I liked that part. There was something about that that I liked that story. I liked that narrative and just, like, found my way to that. Just, like, shit away the success. Right. Right prematurely I was like wow I'll be great at shitting this away once I'm successful and then was like well I don't want to wait until I'm actually successful yeah but I did I did a lot of drugs and and alcohol and stuff I think I started at like 14 was the first time I drank 15 was the first time I smoked pot and I was living with my dad and he was strict and so um, when I realized I liked weed, I moved back to Portland to live with my addict mother because I could I love could that do decision.
1: It. You're like, I have yeah. to, where did your dad live? Well, he well, lived in Delaware. And you were he, like, I got to go to Portland where I can be accepted. Yep. And I could just smoke weed. Yep. My mom
0: let me smoke in the house. Yeah. And she was so fucked up that she didn't realize, because I did really bad in school everywhere I lived and I had gotten kicked out. I got suspended at the end of ninth grade and it was some, I was failing anyway, but it was some weird thing where if you don't finish your suspension, it's technically an expulsion. Right. And so uh, I got suspended the last week of school and I was failing anyway. And I did the first half of ninth grade in a mental hospital. And then um, failed the rest. And then I get to to Portland, and, like, my mom doesn't even go register me in school. Like, she's just right. like, you got that, right? You can handle that. 15-year-old, go uh, put yourself in school. And so I just did not I found a guy that sells acid in the playground, and then he would just, like, front me. What a sucker. Front me acid, and then I would just trip balls around the thing until 3.30, and
1: then... How long did that work before she was, like... Or anyone, was there ever like, there was, was there truancy or was there, was there any of that? Did I you ever...
0: kept getting picked up by the cops for running okay. away from home. Right. And so finally, the last time I got picked up by the cops, I think she was visibly high. I ended up in my grandmother's custody and then I got, I became a born again Christian and had to go get my GED. And so I had my GED by the time I was uh, 16. But we had, like, cool moms,
1: like, grown-ass adults that would let teenagers do drugs in in their house. Yeah, I mean, that was my friend. Tina's mom was a woman who was, like, a uh, high-end call girl for years. Wow. High-end. And she would go to, like, the plaza and whatever. And then she kept doing that, I think, through her life. She said she was a house cleaner, but she's like, I'm really cleaning pipes, you know? (laughs) She was, she was great. I, I, I thought she was a lot of fun. I still, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen her in a while, but she's, you know, she had some great, some great life lessons. People that are, that work in the sex industry know a lot about people. Yeah. It's wild, man. And she, she told us some wild shit. Yeah. That we would listen to as kids and be like, when well, we should, probably shouldn't have been, but you know, when you're, when you're a 13, 14 year old and you're smoking weed and everything, she would just have the, like, I remember once we were hanging out in this crack house, and we loved the woman who lived there, but we thought everyone else sucked.
0: Yeah, crack, we, crack addicts aren't that fun.
1: We went to Tina's mom, and we were like, you know, this woman's great. Uh, let's call her Beth. Her name's not Beth, but she goes, you know, Beth is great, but everybody else sucks. And, and Tina's mom just looked at us. She took a pull off from Newport, and she goes, so let me get this straight. <laughs> This one's a dirt bag. This one's a dirt bag. This one's a dirt bag. And this one sleeps next to all of them, and she's great. <laughs> I think you fuckers are too high. And something hit us. We're like, yeah, she's probably right. Like, yeah. we're like, oh, yeah, she's. And then, you know, you find out later on that, you know, these kind of street lessons or people that had just been around a lot of people and knew that, like, statistically, you know, that this person that you guys think is great is not that great. Um, and, but so to, to me, I think part of the thing about addiction is people. And this is what you don't, nobody really talks about because addicts are a certain breed of people. Right. Who find each other. Yeah. And sustain each other and fuck each other and fall in love with each other. And, go into business with each other and that's never <laughs> a great idea and they do like it's a certain it's an economy that kind of sustains itself emotionally in every other way and there are people that are genuine addicts that are genuine and then there are people that are making money off those people who've never touched a drug or whatever yeah and the word that is always in my mind like when i just heard your story and when i heard my story the word in my mind is chaos. Yeah. That's the word. It's like chaos. So it's like there's something about people like you and people like me that like chaos. Yeah. And we 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 from a young age or it's just in our DNA, something about us wants to go into chaos.
0: I um found do you find that you resonate more with people who are Addicts, like who have that. Here's what I yeah. I have a hard time connecting with people who haven't seen their own capacity for darkness. Yeah, if you haven't experienced yourself at your depths, you don't feel genuine to me.
1: Yeah, does that make sense? It does. I don't know, and I and I and I don't mean this as a cop out of an answer. I don't know. I think I connect with lots of different kinds of people, but I don't know who I'm really connecting with. Yeah. If I go off my Instagram DMs, I'm connecting with a really scary group of people. <laughs> so they are well aware of their capacity for darkness. And they are living in that darkness. But I I think to just enjoy a show of mine, you, you, you know, who are the people out there that are listening to every podcast that really dig it, that come out to the live shows, I think a lot of them, yeah. A lot of them, I would agree, there's a maturity to them. Yeah. And they, are, they have interests that co- coincide with my interests. Maybe they're a little cynical. Yeah. And they appreciate the way that I look at stuff. And it's very possible that they, but I don't know. It's hard. It's a great question.
0: You know, when you live a life where you're like, I would never, because I know that I can say I would never about anything. The only thing I can tell you I would never is if I'm talking about something that I've already done. Right. Because when I was young, I was like, I would never do math. And then I accidentally do meth, and then I'm like, well, I'm going to do this every day, but I'm only going to snort it. Yeah. I would never smoke it. Look at those people that smoke it. And then next thing you know, you're smoking it, and it's like, okay, well, I would never shoot it. And then uh, next thing you know, your boyfriend is shooting it with another girl, and you're jealous, and so you start shooting it. Right. And then just all of the horrible things have put into the right situation, the things I had to do. But in that process, like I, fa- I like, met my real self. And... Uh, had to make a decision, am I going to accept my real self, shadow and all, or am I going to hate myself? Because I can't deny that all of this exists. Where I think people in the regular world who've never been taken to their bottom, who have never had the, the, the life experience that drug addiction provides, yeah. they don't know themselves. We all have the capacity. Yeah, that's
1: why, I like, the you know, there's a lot of talk about the rooms, and I'll ask you in a minute how you feel about the rooms. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was in the rooms for a bit. I was in AA. I don't mind it. I like it. I think it's a good program. I think there's things about it I like, things about it I don't like, but I think overall it's a net positive. I'm glad it exists. Yeah. I'm glad people go to it. I think it's a decent thing to do if you're not an addict. By yes. the way those 12 steps. Yes. That's what I was just saying like I look at those 12 steps and like there's a lot of motherfuckers that could be going around taking an inventory and saying sorry to people and trying to fucking that is a real decent program even if you've never touched a drink or a drug. Absolutely. I think everyone should do the steps a couple of times in it's their life. It's an interesting thing and I think that like what I I think like a lot of people aren't thinking that deeply about anything. Yeah. And I think... I used to, like, think that was a problem. Now, I don't know if it is a problem because I think you got to have the tools to, to, to think and to get places and to come to conclusions that aren't totally terrifying. And I think there's a lot of people... I see certain people that I see a a real estate agent and she's driving a car on sunset and she's got an open house at three o'clock and she's just had a venti caramel macchiato to just fucking stay in the cut and she just (laughs) wants to sling a $5 million house in the hills to a Saudi royal or whatever. And I go, if this bitch, and it could be a dude, so don't get at me like, oh, if that we- so women can't handle. No, I look at certain people and go, if they were to unravel themselves and go to the core, yeah, how dangerous could that be? Yeah. Not only for them, but for all of us. Right. Like, aren't there certain people where you go, you will be, you would be Hitler. if you start, like, there are certain people where I'm like, I understand, and this is where I depart with a lot of the, like, spiritual people that even I'm friends with, where they're like, no, everybody should take shrooms and go to a field, and it would be a much better world. And I'm like, maybe, but you got to realize there's some dark souls out there, and some of them are kept at bay, and I truly believe this, by creature comforts, by things, they like their things, and they like their little things, and they we give them a game to play. Like this is the game: you sold three houses last month. I'm not just shitting on realtors, but like <laughs> you sold, you gotta sell five next month. Ooh, and then you get this shiny thing, and if you and 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 that game just, I think if if enough people stop playing that game, some of them are gonna become beautiful angels, and some of them aren't. Like some of them are gonna go, but that's my own darkness, maybe thinking about so it. So
0: you think that if um you think that if everyone like everyone shouldn't become self-aware? Right. Interesting.
1: There's some dark arts out there. Jessica, there's some people that if they were self-aware, if they knew what they could do. Yeah, no, 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 that's very true. If they knew what they could do, it's like just go and do something that keeps you distracted. For I look at certain people and like, I don't want you ever meeting yourself. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever meet yourself and you come into contact, because you got to realize if they get the like, I do believe that there are people out there. that just should kind of float on the surface.
0: Yeah, they should just be float shallow
1: sims. Just in, float, in I, the because movie. I think it gets really messy if everybody gets in touch with. I, and I and listen, you might say it's reincarnation. You might you might get into that Western shit. Maybe this isn't our only go-around. Maybe this is me and you. Maybe this is our last go-around. Maybe it's not. But maybe this is our time to dig deep and figure our shit out. And maybe this is then not their time.
0: Yeah. I do think that we are... uh, The reality is some sort of like video game. And that you can control the game if you like wake up. But I think that the process of waking up is encrypted in pain and trauma. And so you have to process pain and trauma to get to it and i think that that is a preventative measure to stop people from getting access to the power that comes with that yeah because exactly that but then i feel like some people my uncle tommy
1: used to say something very similar to that and he believed that the process to waking up was encoded by saying the (laughs) n-word so he believed the more that you said it you got to the next level, so no. But I, I <laughs> I think that's a different game. <laughs> he might have been playing a different game. That's what I mean. Should Uncle Tommy be self-aware? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think he just needs things to do. I think we're we're in the we're we're in a society now where a, a lot of people need something to do. They don't have something to do, so they're going online for thirty-five hours. You know, and then they're like, well, I'm sure there's a guru here that can help me. And the reality is, you just right now, the, the this is the time of hucksters, charlatans. Ugh. It's very interesting whether they're in addiction or whether they're in business, wherever these people are, they find these lost souls and they create these cults, and then people just are falling prey to them. I and, hate it. And I, I think it. these people need something to do. I think if you had something to do, even a hobby, anything, Yeah, that's a thing. It's when this country worked really well after World War II, and I know not for black people, not for gay people, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. get it. <laughs> Fucking enough. Enough thinking that you have the... We get it. I understand when you when you tweet at me or you, you Instagram me, they're like, well, not for everyone. Do you know what was happening to the polls? I know. But the idea of America worked really well when everybody went to a factory and just mindlessly put shit together. The, everything was... It be, be because people had shit to do and you take those factories away, people fill it with meth and social... M- <laughs> And fucking Oxycontin and social media. They fill it with Twitter. I like like this list. They fill it with Twitter and fucking Vicodin. And it's a problem. I want to talk about recovery, but real quick, I just
0: want to make sure that you have this information. If you are listening today and you or someone you love is an active addiction and you need help or someone to talk to, please call Humans of Addiction at 888-225-6553 great alright and we're back uh, we talked about 12 step before I yeah. also am a fan uh, you told me it's kind of like having sex with women
1: yeah <laughs> well the 12 step thing I think is is so important because at the very base level it's a reset exactly so exactly. important you need a reset so if you think you can do it alone I wouldn't suggest doing it alone even if one day you get to where you're doing it alone that's exactly. phenomenal I'm a big fan of pressing the reset button, ejecting from your life. You need to go to a place where you can meet people that are going through shit that you're going through, figure stuff out. I'm not saying everyone there is perfect. I'm not saying that all those meetings are created equal. They're not. But that big book's got a lot of wisdom in it. Yeah. And I don't really go on like a big book tirade, but I will tell you this. It's a lot of wisdom in that book, especially separating just the taking of drugs from the real personality deficiencies that lead you to be an addict. Because I'm right. like, oh, I could abstain from drugs and alcohol and just lie and cheat for the rest of my life and that would still not do anything. Yeah, I'd still be a fearful person. I'd still be you know, self-will run rampant. I'd still be ruining my life in a different way and I might be more powerful. I might be worse without the drugs and alcohol. Some of these fucks on Wall Street that steal a billion dollars, they're highly effective and evolved sociopaths. Yeah, Those yeah. are people that get, they take those addict traits and take it to the next level. And I was like, oh, when I started to read the book, I'm like, oh, I'm an addict before I put anything in my body. I'm, and, and, and some people don't like that. Like some people are like, I don't like that. It says you're defective. You have a disease, this, that, and the other thing. So some people don't like that part of it. That seems to be a big bone of contention when people criticize it. But to me, it was very helpful because the, I understood, oh, this comes from somewhere. Yeah, It's not just the drugs and the alcohol. Because if it's just the drugs and the alcohol, you could go, well, I'll just, I'll just cut down to three drinks. I'll just smoke on the weekends. I'll just do that. And none of those things work. None of those. So if it is the drugs and the alcohol, none of those arrangements really work if you're a real addict. Right. If you're a problem drinker, they will work. I have friends that are problem drinkers. They drank in college. Pro- and then they just say, when they drink less, their life gets better. When I use less drugs or I drink less, my life gets worse. It gets more unmanageable because all these emotions start flooding to the surface that I didn't even know I had to deal with, and I just went through this with my friend Ben. And Ben, you know, a mutual friend of ours, Ben got sober about a year ago. Yeah, and I dealing with his, like him, and he would call me and be like, "I'm thinking about all these things for the first time, and I'm 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 crying. I'm pulling my car over. I'm. Ha-. It made me go through my own things again, and I'm like, wow, it was very helpful." And even though we weren't doing it in the program of AA, I was kind of sponsoring him yeah. in this weird way. And it wasn't in the program of AA. But like me and him went to some meetings. I would do it through AA, too. I don't have a problem with going through the steps with him if that's what he wanted to do. It's just he wasn't there yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? But to me, I think it's it's good to understand that this is something that you're going through that has an end.
0: Yeah, I yeah. think for me it was. Um, I've had people ask for advice because I'm not like active in in recovery. People ask for advice, and sometimes it feels like they want an out. Right, they want to easy out. They want to get. Where do, how do I get to the part where I can just like drink on the weekends? And you know, right now you're banging heroin. And in order to get from that point A to that point B, you have a bunch of healing, a bunch of self-awareness. You have to change the scenery. I moved across the country. I was fortunate enough to be able to move. My dad was in recovery. So I just got to move 3,000 miles away and basically live under his roof. But then when I was in, I was in meetings. I was super active in the program for a long time. And I didn't feel... To me, it was so valuable to find out about personality defects.
1: Yes, yes. And
0: I don't like the message of religion that is like you are innately unlovable and unworthy and blah, blah, blah. I don't like any of that stuff. But, like, of course we all have shitty pieces of our personality. And it was so helpful to kind of inventory those, to have a place to, to, to really inventory all the awful things I did. Because leaving... Addiction. Of course, I did things I'm ashamed of, of course. and of course, I did things I never want to talk about. Right. And uh, which is crazy for me, obviously. Right. And but to put those on a list, to share those with one person, to unburden myself from those things, to know things that like I am uh, very self. I can be very self righteous. I can be. Uh, I'm not really any of those things anymore, because it was helpful for me to confess those things, to know those things, to know that at my worst I am. This, this, and this, that almost made it possible for me to release it. And to have just an environment of other recovering people, and some of them were ridiculous. I never understood how like people were like, This place is drama. And it's like everywhere's drama. But even it's also day so people jobs- used to come
1: to those rooms, not even be on drugs, and have never done drugs, just lonely people. Yeah. <laughs> People would come in all the time, start sharing. It had nothing to do with drugs. So and be like, my car broke again. What is the deal with these mechanics? There's no honesty. People are like, wait a minute, what? Like, there's a lot of people that are just there, which is fine, too. It's like, listen, you can't. And that's the other thing. Some of us wanting that program to be perfect is the addict side of us. Yeah. We're like, well, why isn't everyone here perfect?
0: Yeah. Why isn't
1: everyone what I think they should be? Which is so,
0: I feel like so, everything is is this like I loved all that stuff? Yeah, I loved the infighting. I loved the drama. Yeah. Well, I loved well, somebody
1: said something very interesting to me recently, and they go, "You got to get to a point in life where you realize everything is and isn't. Yeah, it's not or it's and. Like everything's great and suck. There's bad and yes. good in everything. Like you can't always be like, is this the worst thing I've done or the greatest thing in the world? That's when you know someone is not a mature person." Yeah. Somebody will come up. This is when I know somebody hasn't been in comedy a long time. They'll be like, oh, this person that disagrees with me is actually really funny. And I'm like, yeah. 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 Some of the most talented people in the world are going to be people that are psychotic. This is when people are talking about the Me Too shit and they're all shocked. I'm like, "Yes, some of these very talented people who took an insanely irrational, risky course in life (laughs) are wired in a weird way and some of them have done some very predatory and depraved things and a lot of it comes from the fact that like they're wired to take huge risks and they and they and they are also wired to you know behave in a way that centers themselves. And this is why they got good at what they did because they really worked on whatever it was. Whatever they needed to work on, they devoted a lot of time to themselves. And then with that comes the idea that they feel deserving of this woman that I see that I want. I just grab her. yeah. And this, you know, and here's my dick and everyone should deal with it. And I, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, whatever the thing is, it's like they're not that different. Everything is and isn't. Like yeah. that person that you admired for the tenacity and the dedication to hone that skill at the expense of every other thing in their life yeah they're not a well always going to be a well-rounded moral person yeah they're just going to be someone that's very creative and gifted so when people say to me like i can't understand i disagree with this person but they're so talented i'm like yeah it's because you know at the end of the day they we all inhabit like those those things are in us Whatever they exactly, are, whatever those exactly. extremes are, they're in. there are certain people that I don't want to like, that I don't want to think are funny and talented, that I think are great. Because they say things on social media that I find abhorrent. Yeah. And I'm and they're so... They're virtue signaling all day. They're annoying. But then I watch their shit and I'm like, they're good. Yeah. They're good. And it, it's part of it. That's like the rooms where you're like, part of it is like just accepting this is a human program. It's a human program. And not everybody in it's going to be in it for the right reasons. And not everybody going through those steps is going to be doing them the right way. But I tell you, it's a hell of a lot better than being out there on your own. Yeah. Especially in the beginning.
0: I absolutely – you're, like, trying to create a new neural pathway. So you're trying to create a new, like, jump timelines, essentially, and be in a new version of yourself. And for me, it was – I couldn't go from my old life. I didn't have the desire to use – But it wasn't about that. It was about I can't go from my new life, my old life, where I was just underground doing meth and and hanging out with only people high on meth to regular society. It was like too, too much, too much. And it was such a great home to have. It was a great place to heal. It was a great place to transition. It was a great place to give back Like it was given to me. And I just like from the beginning, they were like, take what you need and leave the rest. And that's that's just life, man. That's just life. People don't like, like you're talking about how can someone be funny and also I don't agree with them. And it's like, we don't, we need everyone to be all things or they're nothing. And it's like, uh, there are a million here. I thought to myself, I don't know. I don't relate to the desperation. I don't relate to the, uh, like, I could have gotten clean and stayed clean without this. and But what am I going to get too sober? Like, that's what I thought. I was like, is it going to, how
1: could this possibly hurt me? Right. Can I be too good of a person? Yeah. Maybe I don't want to be too honest and too helpful to others. And I had a friend who ended up
0: killing himself and he got clean. He just quit using and a, about a month and a half, he's an ex-boyfriend of mine, before he, he did kill himself, he, um, we were on the phone and he was just miserable. And I'm like a year, he got clean a year before me. So I'm like a year, year and a half in. And I'm having a blast, man. I'm having the time of my life. Also, like recovery is like early recovery. If uh, if you take everything it has to offer, it's such a magical time in your life.
1: It's huge. Because you're a grown-ass adult and I, every tiny yeah. thing is such an accomplishment. I started selling drugs when I sobered up immediately because I was just so happy <laughs> and I was organized for the first time I was waiting for you to laugh at that but a- after everything I've said she's like oh okay you just gotta treat that seriously she's like oh did you? I was like alright well that's by the way knowing what you can get away with as a joke or not really is like I'm such a dirt bag that when I say things nobody knows it's a joke <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was selling drugs in hospitals to kids. People are like, when, when was that? <laughs> I'm like, it's a job. Ju- I'm kidding. But no one, you know. You
0: were on Twitter today yeah. uh, congratulating Casey Anthony on getting a movie deal. Well, and- Casey
1: Anthony is an American hero. <laughs> this is something that I have said on Twitter. And I think social media, by the way, here's my stance on social media. Nothing on social media should be real. <laughs> Nothing. If anything you're doing on there is real, you're crazy. Dude, I used to—you weren't friends with me back in the day. I used to post photos of my house in the Hamptons that I don't have. I don't have. My family's poor. My mother's a schizophrenic in an institution. My dad's a wine salesman. (laughs) Nobody lives in the fucking Hamptons. I used to post pictures of this Hamptons house, and I would be like, hey, guys. We're serving uh, our famous lobster salad today, the size of a civil servant. They're going to be big lobster rolls, the size of a civil servant's pension, LOL. (laughs) And then I would be like, I just hit an emotional service dog with my car. So I'm going to be late to the party. And then people, instead of just going to my profile... And seeing very clearly the word comedian, they would, uh, like, attack me. I wrote a thing once when Joel Alstein would not let people in his church. Yeah. I had, you know, maybe the greatest thing ever about that because I was just, it was so funny to me. Trolling is so much fun.
0: Oh, God. And to me. My it, favorite.
1: It's so much fun. so today, Casey Andy got a movie deal. I'm like. Everyone mad, or, she, or she's going to work on a low-grade movie. I don't think yeah. she's got a movie deal. Let me not say that. She's going to work on a low-level movie. So I just tweeted, everyone mad at Casey Anthony, you've never made a fucking movie in your life. You don't know how hard it is. Keep staying on the sidelines. And then, you know, some guy comes at me. He's like, well, what about the trial and everything? And I'm like, even if she killed her daughter, she's still her mother. She's still grieving. That pain is real. She should be able to tell us... The version of the story that's the most entertaining, and then like the guy, the guy was like, "Well, I, I respect her. I respect our differences." I'm like, "Okay, it's really, it's too much, fun. it's too much fun." So listen, this is literally when Joel Oste- Joel Osteen would not let people in his <laughs> mega church. So this During is. During the I, flood, right? The big flood? Yeah. And I wrote, This is important to me because Joel Olstein saved my life. When I read his book, The Power of I Am, I stopped having AIDS. So maybe I don't care about a bunch of listen to this. I don't care about a bunch of drug addicts who are blaming their homelessness on a flood instead of poor decisions. People were so and I go, does anyone know how I can donate directly to Joel Olstein? Um I go, the first time I heard of Joel Osi speak was the last time I felt alone. I was crying and fully wrecked. (laughs) I go, (laughs) and people are responding to this. They're getting angry. I go, sorry if I don't care that you want to have a pool party in God's house. (laughs) And this was just homeless, wet people that had been turned away. (laughs) You know, and it's just, it was wild. And people were fighting with me. They're like, you know, I said, you know what Joel Osi passed a collection plate around to hurricane victims of the church because there's no such thing as a free lunch. Wet money is still money. <laughs> and I just kept going all day, all day, all day. And people just keep going back at you. Um, and it's just funny to me, you know, seeing, I go like this. This was the big one. This really went nuts. Hey, fucktards, Joel Osteen's <laughs> church is private property. He doesn't need to open it for a bunch of water rats (laughs) wringing out their clothes and complaining. If you want to rent out his church for a private function, that's one thing, but to squat there with your drenched baby is gross. (laughs) (laughs) Like, um, and then people...
0: How does anyone read that and believe that it's real?
1: Yeah, listen to this guy. goes, I'd agree with this if there's proof he paid taxes like any other private business. I'm like, guys... It's whenever you see a Facebook fight where people are like, you know, when Facebook fights go way beyond the scope of whatever they were arguing about, yeah. but one guy will still jump in to try to be rational. Yeah. Like somebody will be like, fuck you. You're a cuck. I hate you. You fucking do. You never say somebody will fire back at him. Be like, you know what? You're a fucking piece of shit. If I see you on the street, I'll fuck kill you. Then one guy will be like, we could use a lot of that defense money for schools. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think we're we're past this. We're really past that, guy. See, you don't have to be a drug addict. You can have fun on the internet. But even though I realize how damaging the internet is. All of my favorite trolls are addicts. It's so funny and it's just so stupid and it's childish, but I think if you're getting mad by trolls, and I'm not talking about trolls, like I don't, I don't, I'm not for like doxing people or harassing yeah. people. I just say ridiculous shit. Yeah. And if you think it's, if you get enraged at it, you're crazy. That's a great troll. Crazy. Yeah. I love that stuff. Going it, into
0: going into groups. And, it's just uh, fun. But I, yeah. I
1: always got to check myself sobriety wise all the time. Like I don't ever want to use drugs or drink again, but to, you know, the, just the idea of like the lying or the food or every now and then the cigarettes, like things will creep back in. Food is a tough thing to have a, a healthy relationship with as an addict.
0: This was something uh, I talked a little bit about on a on another episode, but um, that food for me is the drug. That I struggled with the hardest, and I think it's because abstinence isn't an option. Abstinence, once I wrap my mind around it, is easy because you just never do it again. Just never do it once, and you're fine. Like I quit smoking cigarettes, and I just never smoked another cigarette, and it's fine. You know, it's, you got a cu- hard couple weeks, but you can't do that with food. No, there is this moderation; it leaves so much room for and then, magical yeah. thinking.
1: Yeah, and then sex is another one. Like that's something where a lot of addict problems are sexual. I know for me, a lot of it was like the shame about sexuality, a lot of that shit. Yeah. A lot of it is an issue. A lot of the things people do to get drugs, they feel ashamed of. A lot of the inventory. That's why in AA, there's like a sexual inventory. But you gotta have a healthy relationship with sex. Like you can't stop doing drugs and then just like go and, you know, just become addicted to sex. Yeah. You know? Or somebody that just... Or food. It's like a hard... It's So that's why getting better, not to use the word better because people hate that, but like... Healing, you know, like actually healing, healing and yourself. being vigilant about all of these things because it's money, it's food, it's sex, it's never going to totally abate. You'll always have that kind of personality where you'll always want to, you know, and part of it's what makes some of us great. Yeah. Like some of that addictive personality you got to own because some of it is what's going to make you maybe a very hard worker, maybe very intense Maybe it's going to help you build a business or or build a career. Maybe it's what makes you not afraid to go and do things that other people are uncomfortable doing because you've been through those things. Know that those things have positives. And a lot of, and they have, listen, some of those character defects, why do you think we don't give them up so easily? Because we see value in them. Because some of them have value. Yeah. Some pride has a value, you know? Um, Risk taking has a value, just not when it's at its extreme. And you're being unhealthy. But it is healthy. I know people have lived in the same town with the same three friends who've never taken a risk that sure as hell wish they would have. There are good things about some of these characteristics that you have. But know that the bad things are also going to be there. And if you don't do maintenance in whatever way that you can, you're never fully done. There's never a point in time where everything will be okay. You know? I feel like
0: knowing yourself and and constantly seeking to know and understand yourself. I feel like the way that my brain works is is probably just, uh, addict. Beha- right. Like I have an addict's brain where my brain is constantly just going, just fucking yeah. going, and I'm I'm very strategic about what I give it. And I, I realized recently like I was in a, kind of a relationship that wasn't working and it's like I can't my brain can't have access to something like that. My brain can't have access to, to low self-esteem. My brain can't have access to shame because then it will just grind on that until I start destroying myself. Right. And so I have to figure those things out. And shame and food used to be a thing. Shame and sex is a thing for me. Like sex is still a minefield. I'm taking a year off. Yeah. Right now, while I figure some shit out, because I know not to hand my my brain stuff like that, because right. then it just won't fucking stop. But that brain, that super computer. A year of sex,
1: good for you. Why? Yeah,
0: no sex, no sex, no dating. What about while anal? I, uh, yeah. Well, obviously, anal.
1: Oral I mean. and anal. <laughs> Could you just oral anal? I think it I just no or it's want everyone
0: no leave me the fuck alone. Uh, Brian over here doesn't think I'll make it for a year, and then Brian thinks that I'm leaving uh, girls open as uh, well, an Well, are often. you? I don't think so. I think I'm yeah. just going to take a year to myself and just um, not run the risk of falling for someone, not complicate anything, and just me for a, okay. for a solid year. You'll be
1: a born-again virgin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so awesome. that'll be nice.
0: I think it's sex... Um, Sex activates something to where if I hook up with someone, I just don't want to ever talk to them again. I just want them to go away. Yeah, you should deal with that. Yeah, probably that might, maybe that seems, address
1: that. That seems like something that seems a little yeah. wild. <laughs> that uh, seems a little unnecessary. Yeah. it's a little cold, a little yeah. hard.
0: <laughs> um, but if I hand posit- like hand my mind positive things, right? So if I if I uh, want to get a new podcast off the ground? If I want to uh, uh, pursue a new passion, I just decide I'm going to teach myself video editing. Then that addict brain is uh is magic, right? Because in a right. night I can like tear through a bunch of YouTube, the like videos and 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 get on it. And I've seen so many addicts who are like start their own businesses in recovery and like develop hobbies and then become the best at it, you know, because we do have that ability to like grab a hold of something and run with it. And the trick is really healing yourself, getting to know yourself, like honestly getting to know yourself to where you're not tricking yourself into thinking like I should take up gambling, you know, so uh, I should give my brain this awful thing to gnaw away at, but rather being... I know at this at this point it's hard to think that comedy is a positive thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> and listen, for a lot of people it's not. It's very interesting. I've seen you know a lot of man. I mean that's a whole nother podcast. But like some of the some of the things you know it is and it isn't. It's like everything is and isn't. It's really those things. But I will say, I've seen people throw their lives away doing this, equal to worse than drugs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. It's crazy.
0: I, when people throw their lives away for things that aren't as fun as drugs, it's always interesting to me. Because it's like, I yeah. got to be...
1: That's how I feel about gambling. You ever well, gamble? Well, comedy's an endorphin rush, and I think it's a very similar feeling. Yeah, you know people who went to
0: law school, and yeah. then they quit being a lawyer to pursue stand-up? Yeah. That's worse than than smoking crack. And that's what in I hour. think. I mean, that's kind of what I think. But then you
1: also see people, and you're like, you're not funny. <laughs> It's like if I went to Ford Models every day and then they came up to me and went, let me ask you a question. Why do you think this would work? Like, what are you what are you looking at that makes you feel that this is a thing that should or would happen in this world in this time? And and listen, God love everybody. I, I support everyone and respect everyone. And any any fan of mine knows that's not true. Um, but it's it's a very interesting thing. As an addict who does comedy, some of my addictive traits help me a lot. Yeah. Because so I was compulsive, and I'd be like, "Let's do five open mics yeah. instead of three every day." Like, and and some of them hurt me. Some of them hurt me because some of the emotional living and dying off an audience's reaction is can you know incapacitate you emotionally for doing other work that you need to do that is your overall career is going to be better. I think I have such a
0: strange... I never get high from shows anymore.
1: That's interesting.
0: Um, And I have, like, comedy dysmorphia. So if every single joke hits, I'm like, yeah, that was cool. And then if every single joke doesn't hit, I've bombed. Interesting. And it's strange because I have very high self-esteem in regular life. I have a... uh, I might, like... It might hurt for a second, but overall, if you're not someone who I, like, consider my friend, right. I don't give a fuck what you think about right, me. Right, right. And um, I don't know of many people who don't like me if I want them to like me. You know, the kind of people that I'm attracted to in life, we resonate, usually. Right. But on, on stage, it's different. It's, um, it's painful. It's awful. I have, like, a hate-hate relationship with stand-up. It doesn't provide me any of the high. I don't even know why I do it. It's, like, coming after me. It comes and gets me. I quit all the time, and then it comes and gets me. And um, I remember having the I'm a comedy god feelings after a good set, and I haven't had that in, uh, I think This Is Not Happening was the last time I felt that way, and ever since then, I'm like, this is just a good show before a bomb. And for the most part, I have to be like someone else has to tell me whether or not I did well because I can't tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know mean, it's very interesting. I, I still get that endorphin adrenaline rush. Yeah. Like, oh, this is good. And, you know, this is this worked. It's a like clean high, I call it. Yeah. You know, in the sense that, like, I, you know, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm doing this good thing, making people happy. But you got to watch that. You got to watch. Anytime you get that adrenaline rush, got to watch it. Yeah. Got to watch it, man. Did you ever gamble? No, but like I could, I fucked around with it where I lost three or four hundred dollars in a few minutes, and then, or won three or four hundred dollars in a few minutes, and I'm like, oh, this could be a thing too.
0: Yeah, is that a I, high? That a high
1: that you enjoyed? Oh yeah, I, I I do every like I it's all a high. Yeah. It's all garbage. That's to the man.
0: worst of all the addictions. The high of it is the worst. To be in the same room as it, as the gambling. Well, there's no addiction. physical
1: withdrawal. It's and the
0: wor- it's the it's
1: I the... didn't know this, but addict addict gambling addicts are addicted to losing. Yeah. They're addicted to the like the shame bottom. cycle. Yeah. They're addicted to bottoming out and because you're like, well, the only, only way I can go up is from here. It's a weird.
0: Yeah. yeah. they're addicted to the uh But the way that it talks to them,
1: I feel what like What about my strange addiction where people like eat couches? <laughs>
0: I was uh, talking to Tom Goss the other day, and he was like, I don't understand when people say you can't get addicted to weed. I just watched a show where someone is addicted to eating pottery. Right. And um, that's just got to be a weird glitch, right? A weird glitch in the brain where... I think
1: there's crazy stuff out there. I think it's a weird glitch.
0: I mean, I've never eaten a couch. I might
1: be super into it. I think it's a weird glitch. I don't know, man. I'm not a neurologist, but there's a great book written by a guy who's called The Man Who Thought His Wife Was a Hat <laughs> and was, I, I don't know what it was a while back it was written by maybe it was Jeffrey Sachs a really well known neurologist or researcher or whatever and there's some funky shit going on yeah. all over the place so I'm not shocked by anything yeah because there's crazy stuff the crazy stuff sexually yeah. People are the people who wear diapers. That's that's very a Facebook strange. group
0: I hung out in for a while. And well, they that is are... very
1: <laughs> that is beautiful.
0: <laughs> uh they are an interesting group of people to watch. They, yeah. Um they're really into like pooping themselves. Yeah. And they kind of uh have like a um uh, an erotic response
1: to just I'm so nervous. I'm like, I don't want to go into that group. Because am I like, in two weeks, will I like diapers? (laughs) Is that how it works? I'm so terrified.
0: Yeah, like, where does that start? Like, is that something that you just, like, your whole life, you try to find this community? Well, that's the thing, Sebastian
1: Maniscalco's got a great bit where he's like, you know, back in the day, you would just not tell people shit. (laughs) And now everyone's like, me too. And you're like, oh, now there's a community of crazy people. Yeah. 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 Yikes! So,
0: and as always, you can find me at Jessa Reed Comedy on Twitter or Instagram. You could probably find me on Facebook, but why would you bother? You can find this podcast at Soberish Pod on Twitter at Soberish Pod on Instagram as well. Do not mistake that for at Soberish Podcast. That is a podcast that never happened, and those are people that should just give me their handle. If you or someone you love is still in active addiction and would like to get help, please call Humans of Addiction. At 888 225 6553. Where can people find you?
1: Tim Dylan is going to hell is the podcast. It is on iTunes. You guys should all go subscribe to it if you like. Tim J. Dylan, D I L L O N, on Instagram. I do some funny shit there. Uh, uh, Tim J. Dylan, Dillon, D-I-L-L-O-N, same fucking handle on Twitter. And uh, TimDillonComedy.com if you want to see live shows.
0: All right. So thank you so much. Thank for you for having, having me very this much. Is great. Thank you.